morning. The scripture this morning comes from Matthew 10, verses 1 through 8. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dr. Mia, for reading the scripture today. Good morning to you all. Uh, let, let, me, let me check in where we're at in church calendar, but then also check in personally on that. So we are continuing uh, this year to be going through the church calendar and following the lectionary readings from the book of Matthew. And so the next three actually are all in this chapter that uh, Dr. Mia just read from in chap Matthew chapter 10. It's a long chapter. It's a significant chapter. Um, all three will be from this next chapter. And so I'm obviously doing the passage this upcoming week. I will not be doing it next week because I know you feel very sad for me for this, but I'll be hiking around Montana at this time next Sunday. Um, as you all know, my wife is a crazy marathon runner and um, I don't know if y'all know this. She's trying to do all 50 states. Did you, know, did you know that? Yeah. So, and if that's not a big enough goal, it's part of a national club called 50 under four. So it doesn't count if you don't sub four hours uh, at the state. So, um, she's done like 37 states total, but four of them wasn't under four. So she has to redo those. So Montana will be the 33rd state next week. I think it's 33. I should know that better. So anyway, I will be out. It's going to be a great service though. We actually have a guest worship, uh, pastor Angie Hong and Benjamin will be preaching. And then the Sunday after that, um, two weeks from today, the third one in Matthew chapter 10 is a weekend. Many of you won't be here because it's 4th of July weekend, but it's kind of a big Sunday for me. Anybody know why that Sunday is big for me? Yeah, it's my birthday. And that's not just my, any birthday. I got a milestone one coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, I turned the big 5-0, turned 50. So for my birthday, my present is I get to preach with you all. So, um, so half of this is just a guilt appeal. I, I, it's probably worse to have a Christmas birthday. I think that's probably the worst time to have a birthday, right? Where they count it as double gifts, but it's really not. But I feel 4th of July weekend's close second for a worst time to have a birthday, right? Half the time it got forgotten. The other half, they're like, look, fireworks for your birthday. <laughs> All right, it's just an homage to colonial superpowers. This is not my, my, not my birthday being, uh, don't, don't try to trick me. So, um, uh, so I know you'll all probably be out of town. But I, I, I mentioned that because I'm going to actually use that as part of this approach to um, Matthew 10. Uh, the, the part that we'll cover here that we just read really will zone in today um, on really kind of the place that it holds within the kind of story of God. It's a really important passage and it's important in the book of Matthew. It's got some important theological significance. So we'll really focus on that today. But I'm going to come swing back to it again a second time. Um, and 
the ideas of this really, I think, are very transformational in our lives. Um, how Matthew talks about this story. And I'm just going to kind of purse it's be half testimonial, half teaching. But I'm going to talk about kind of how this passage has been kind of an anchor one as I think about faith 50 years in. So um, that's where we're kind of going these next three weeks. Sound good? All right. Well, uh, as we get ready to jump into this passage we read today, this is uh, Matthew's first account of all 12 disciples. So he's been telling the stories of Jesus calling to himself different disciples along the way of this particular group of 12. This is the first time in Matthew's chronology that all 12 of them are mentioned. I think it's important to remember, if not all of you were here last week, but it's still good to pair what we did last week with this week. I think there's a reason these are back to back. So last week we did Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 9, the section we did, 9 through 13, we see Matthew, who's writing this gospel account. Matthew 9 is Matthew's personal story, his personal testimony of how he came to meet Jesus. It's Jesus calling him from his tax collecting business to become a follower of Jesus, become a disciple. In it, Matthew talks about this approach to faith that he found to be transformational, that it's not about being good enough to earn God's favor, performing to earn God's favor, earning God's favor, that instead he highlights this verse where Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. And for Matthew, this was actually really, really great news that the answer to how to become right with God is not to earn your way back into God's good favors, but to see yourself as somebody who's sick, homesick, to come back and that Jesus, the great physician, repairs, heals, brings us back into um, kinship and belovedness with God. And so that's, that's this big focus of chapter 9, which I mentioned that because I think what, what one of the things you see here, among others, in Matthew 9 and Matthew 10, is that Matthew 9 is kind of looking at um, the account of how Matthew experienced Jesus as an individual. And now in Matthew 10, Jesus is sharing, Matthew is sharing um, his, his account of how Jesus spoke to them as a group, particularly this 12, how, how Jesus sent them out for the first time. And though they'd be sent over and over and over again and in a final way after the death and resurrection of Jesus, this becomes kind of a template for Matthew of how he thinks about the group being sent. So I think that pair nicely. The individual account of Matthew in uh, chapter 9, then he including himself among this 12 in chapter 10. Okay, so let me take two swings. This is often what I do in a text. I think it can be a helpful way. Um, swing one will be kind of what's happening here. Um, and maybe I'll use the language of story for this first part. Um, this, the way Matthew is telling this story of the 12 apostles is actually a pretty, this is a pretty important culmination point, like you can almost say in the whole Bible. Like what Matthew is kind of telling us here, and we'll dive into this, Matthew's showing how kind of from Genesis all the way through the Hebrew scriptures all the way up till now, there's some kind of a culmination happening. And uh, Matthew wants us to kind of connect some dots at the big picture of the story. So I want to take a swing through that first. And then we'll do kind of a second swing. So like, okay, that's what's happening there. What does that mean for you and I? As those who say yes to the call of Jesus to become disciples, what does that mean for you and I? So let's first dive into kind of how this plays a role within the story. Again, Matthew's telling this account of these 12 in particular, these, these 12 disciples. And I want to get right to one big, what I, I've always felt to be a disturbing question. And I've heard it so many times that I think it needs to be addressed because I think a lot of you wonder, and if you haven't, you probably should. When you see this list of the 12, the 12 disciples, one of the first questions that comes out is, why did Jesus not have any women as part of the 12? Right? When you come to see, this is very much how I have come to see the Bible. When you see the Bible overall, but Jesus' ministry especially, Paul's ministry, when you see them as being uh, uh, totally taking on the system and structure of patriarchy, 
And I would say that's absolutely what Jesus does. I would say that's absolutely what Paul does. They take on the system of patriarchy. It was absolutely a patriarchal society then where women had no rights, couldn't vote, or you know, could, couldn't appear in court, you know, couldn't own property. I mean, in a totally patriarchal society, you see Jesus continuously challenging those norms. I would say that's absolutely who Jesus is. But then it kind of raises this just really uncomfortable question. If that is who Jesus is, kind of tearing down these systems and structures of inequality, why is it that there's not a single female in the group of 12? That's a big question, right? Why is there not one single female in the group of 12? I grew up in a, you know, as you well know, within Christianity, there's a broad spectrum on a lot of things, but some of it is how um, Christians treat females. We're seeing like denominations right now, hunkering down on prohibiting women from leadership and trying to protect hierarchical roles. That is not at all where I think the Bible, where the Bible takes us. But again, this, when I, when I think of my own upbringing, this was actually one of the defenses of patriarchy. It literally was one of the defenses. This is the order of men and women together. Look, Jesus had 12 men as disciples. That's part of the rationale. Okay, well, I want to take a moment on that and take a, uh, take a view. I, I actually think there is a reason why these 12 are guys, but it's not because of any kind of a male and female uh, relationship and equality. And so one of the things, this is just so obvious, but it's just not stressed in all environments. The, all four gospel writers are very clear that there were numerous female disciples. All four gospel writers are, are very clear. There are numerous female disciples as part of those who follow Jesus. Let me, I'm going to do just one single passage to give a sense of this because this is Luke um, kind of making an emphatic point. Um, yeah, let, let's, let's look at this. Uh, this. So this is Luke 8, 1 through 3. If you, can, uh, if you don't see the uh, citation there at the bottom. So let me read this. So this is Luke uh, talking about Jesus with the disciples. He says, um, <clears throat> After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Kind of as an aside, that's exactly what he's telling the disciples right now to proclaim, right? The 12 that, that we're talking about here, we're with them. Um, also women disciples, and he names a few. Mary called Magdalene, who she's referred to often as one of the really uh, significant disciples. And Jesus had healed her from this kind of spiritual warfare. But then uh, Luke mentioned some other ones. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who's a disciple of Jesus, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna. And then here's a phrase. You can just kind of look right through this. But what does it say after Susanna? And what? And many others. <laughs> Right, and many others in the group. of So there is this kind of role that the 12 play, uh, but then there's a bunch of other disciples and a huge number of those are females. A couple of other things I'll draw out from this passage that's just interesting. You just don't hear these stories as often as you should. Joanna, for instance, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Uh, it seems that scholars have a pretty consistent belief on this. Uh, another part of the story, you get John the Baptist who was before Jesus, right? And then John the Baptist gets imprisoned, ultimately killed, which is a really tragic story. But when John's imprisoned, it's in Herod's household. That's where John's imprisoned. And so one of the questions scholars often ask is, how is it that John is able to continually get messages to Jesus? How is it that Jesus is continually able to get messages to John? Almost certainly it came through this disciple, Joanna. Joanna, who helped manage the household and was also a disciple of Jesus, almost certainly played an intermediary role between John who's imprisoned and Jesus and his disciples as they're, you know, when, G when John the Baptist asks, how do I know for sure this is the Messiah that I bore witness to? It's Joanna who helps get that message to Jesus, almost certainly. Another key phrase from this, and I think this helps kind of balance out the picture, um, Luke specifically mentions, see that last line? Luke says, these women were helping to support Jesus and the disciples <laughs> out of their own means. Now I want you to think about that. In that day and age, how hard was it 
for a woman to establish herself with her own business, right, with, with her own source of income, not just to support her own household, but to have enough, to earn enough income to not only support her own needs and her own family's needs, but to be able to give above and beyond to support the ministry of Jesus, which we all know to support work of ministry, it actually does take financial resources. And it's so interesting that Luke makes it, a, it's not actually the men and women who are mostly financially supporting the work. It actually specifies it's these female disciples that are supporting the work of Jesus to be able to continue the work that is happening. Point being, when you actually look at the word disciples, and I'm gonna make a distinction here that Matthew, I'm not gonna make it, Matthew makes this distinction. But when you actually talk about disciples, it's totally irresponsible to the text to in any way present it that this is for males, that discipleship was for males, that Jesus focused on males. His closest, uh, some of his closest people that he looked to for support, you know, a couple of the Marys that were both um, disciples. You see these women here, Luke specifying that there's many female disciples. You see that um, the women disciples in particular took on some of the financial burden of Jesus. Okay, so that's the bigger picture. So then you do, well, there are these 12, they are all men, why is that? Just kind of last theological point, and this is very apropos to the story here. Um, Matthew is especially specifying this, but all four gospel writers get to this. Um, they're all helping us to see that the story of God starts with the nation of Israel. I mean, that, that, that is just kind of one of the ways we kind of have to understand ourselves is that we're found within this larger story that begins with the nation of Israel, starts with, in a lot of ways, the Exodus story where God takes the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, creates this covenant. And so the way the story unfolds for the Hebrew scripture, there's always this, God starts with the nation of Israel, but is pointing towards the proclamation that will be made to the whole world. All right, and so this is a lot of what Matthew's been doing in his book here is showing how Jesus is the promised fulfillment of the Messiah that Yahweh God was going to send. And first and foremost, Jesus is saying to his fellow Jews, this is what the whole Hebrew scripture was about, was me. Everything from Genesis through Malachi was all pointing towards me. I'm here now. This is your time to respond to what you said you've always been looking forward to. God has sent God's self in the form of me. Right, that's what has been happening all the way up to Matthew 10. And, 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 and so here's the end of this first part I want to do in terms of the story. Now, what Jesus is saying is these 12 are being sent to the Jews first. Because right, you see in verse 5, it says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. So there's something still very specific in time happening. Jesus is essentially saying, this is kind of like the last shot. This is the last shot. Not that they won't have opportunities to respond again. But this is the end of the Jewish-only conversation. It gets down to in verse 18, you see that Jesus says he's about to start heading out to the broader world, to the Gentile world. But Jesus is sending these 12 out to the nation of Israel to once again bear witness to the fact that this is the culmination of what the Hebrew scriptures have always been saying. And the 12 is actually a very particular number because in the Hebrew scriptures, Jacob is the father of all Israel, but Jacob has 12 sons. And from Jacob's 12 sons comes the 12 tribes of Israel, and that represents the totality of the nation of Israel. So these 12, and here, here's one last just like little term, but I think it's actually helpful. Do you see what Matthew does? Matthew, it's, it's, it's not like a word trick. He's just trying to connect these. You see in verse one, Jesus says, sorry, Matthew says, Jesus called his 12 disciples. But you see, he changes the term from disciples to what in verse two? These are the names of the 12. He doesn't say disciples now. He says the, t the 12 apostles. Um, and this also is kind of, a technical term, these 12 chosen disciples out of the larger group, which doesn't mean that what the larger group did. For all we know, we actually don't know a whole lot outside of a couple of the apostles. We don't really have a whole lot that we know of what happened after the commissioning. So as far as we know, the broader group of disciples was just as 
engaged in building the early church is some of these. Um, but these 12 apostles in particular, last bit, but this is kind of a key piece of information tied all together. These 12 apostles represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Right, so each one of these, not necessarily one-to-one, -one, but the 12 apostles represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's a big part of the Jewish story happening here where Jesus is saying, this story is for the whole world, but it is especially for you all. Like, we've been tracking this story since Exodus, right? And now this is the fulfillment. I'm here, I'm sending out these 12 as representatives of the 12 nations of Israel. This is, he's saying to the Jewish community, this is time now. It's time for you all to respond and to see how this is the fulfillment of what's been happening for a thousand plus years. Okay, I know that's a lot of information, but I feel it's really important, both for the story, but also to realize, you know, some of the broader dynamics of how Jesus chose and trained disciples. So you, that's the end of that part. But do, you, but do you see kind of some of the significance of this passage in terms of how this fulfills the story of the whole Bible? Track with me on that. Uh, pretend you are and say yes, because nobody said anything. So if not, we can talk more afterwards, because um, I do actually think that's a pretty important part. Okay, well, that, like the end on that part. I do want to um, want to also take a swing at this where we say, okay, that's, you know, as Bible students, I think we should care about all this stuff, and I really do think we should, um, but we're not just kind of looking in on a history lesson. This should have meaning for us as well. All right, so this is the last reflection I want to start here, but I'm going to kind of come back to this in a couple weeks on birthday Sunday. Uh, but let, let me come back to this idea again of, of pairing Matthew 9 and Matthew 10. Um, I hope these aren't too lofty ideas. I don't think they are, but I hope this is stuff that really, like, causes us to think. All right, so I would say Matthew 9 is Matthew describing how he came to think of his own relationship with God. All right, um, and that's something we should always be thinking about. We should always be um, thinking theologically about how God wants us to relate to God and how God wants to understand how God relates to us. And so this notion of it's not the sick, who it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, that's some of where the freedom comes from, Matthew, of how it relates to God. I would say, and if I can put kind of my slant on this, I would say in chapter 10, a lot of what he's reflecting on, if 9 is about his relationship with God, 10 is a lot about his, his relationship and their relationship with the world. To say it another way, it's very important that we have a cultivated, deep, and growing personal relationship with God, but it's going to always be imbalanced and incomplete if we're only thinking about the way we relate with God, right? Like, a big part of our relationship with God is that God calls us to participate in God's work in the world, right? It's not an either or. They, they move in symmetry together, but there really should be this dynamic sense of moving and interaction where my own relationship with God is flowing out in such a way where I'm participating with God in the world, right? And where the ways I'm participating in the world with God is coming back and stirring and spurring my own personal relationship with God. You tracking with me on this? And so... Um, Matthew uses a, a word and a phrase, and this is where I want to finish off, and I want to spend a few minutes here, and then we'll come back to these again. He uses a word and a phrase to kind of describe this orientation of, of how you participate with God in the world. And the word is used by all the gospel writers, and is an important word, but then the phrase is used just by Matthew, which I think reflects some of Matthew's own kind of what jumped out to him. So the word, I'll have you say this one with me. Maybe I'll say do both. The word is sent. Can you say that word? All right. Oh, let's, look in the, let's look in the passage. Um, verses uh, 1 through 4, we see all of the disciples mentioned. And then this word, verse 5, this word gets used over and over. These 12 Jesus sent. An easy word to just jump right past. It's not a word we should jump right past. It's one of the most critical words for continually coming back to and reflecting on even your own walk with God. Um, this notion that as a disciple of Jesus Christ who's in relationship with God and who should be hopefully learning how to 
sense and discern the voice of God, a huge way in which your daily relationship with God should manifest is that you should have a sense in an ongoing way. Again, we'll come back to this because I think it's, it's a lot to get to in just one week. In an ongoing way, you should have a sense that you are sent by God into the world. I literally believe that's the core of my being, that this is one of the ways we experience a vital relationship with God is we have the starting point that I'm loved by God, which is kind of what Matthew 9 got to, and that I'm sent by God. All right, that word sent, really important. That's the one that everybody uses. Then here's the phrase that's specific to Matthew, but I think really represents the uh, abundance with which Matthew experienced Jesus. Um, bring up the passage, if you will. It's the very, it was the very last verse in this week's reading. reading. Um, you see it in the, the, the very last, uh, in English, last six words. Let's repeat these after me. Freely you've received. Freely give. Freely you have received. Freely give. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Matthew's the only one who uses this. For Matthew, uh, this is a big part of how he experienced God and the ministry of Jesus and how he thought about being sent out into the world. So let's begin our reflection meditation process. I'm hoping, because on some of these, it's just as important to name them and think about them as it is to like for me to try to spell out what I think it means. So let these two words I think are meant to live in concert with each other, or the word and the phrase. So the word is sent. All right, so here's what I want you to begin. I really hope you'll begin thinking about this today, this week, in your meditations and your prayers. Matthew's understanding of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus is A, that you've got this growing personal relationship of, with God that I think he gets to in chapter nine. But then in chapter 10, he, he sees a disciple is somebody who's sent, who's sent. And here's one of the many things I love about that word and about thinking about this, right? Now, for some Christians, it's a jump, and it shouldn't be, but it is. For some Christians, it's a jump just to realize that personal relationship with God is not enough, that you actually have to be active in the world Right? You need to be participating in justice, participating in renewal, participating in kind of bearing witness to the kingdom of God. For some, even that's a jump um, that we need to be active. I don't think for you, the most that are here, that's a jump. But here's what I love. I love the interactive nature of that word sense. Right? If you were to say to be a Christian means I need to be active in the world, that's not wrong, but it's not a complete enough picture of how the New Testament talks about it. To be active in the world can sound like it's something you're independently doing. It could sound like something where you've kind of got a set of instructions and you're just obeying them. To be sent has a much more interactive kind of feel, right? If you're sent, what does that mean? It means, among other things, there's somebody who's sending, right? To be sent means there is somebody who is sending. And I think this is a big deal for me. It's a big deal for all the disciples. We're looking at Matthew's account. For Matthew, this was, this was a, a, a breathtaking idea that, the God of the universe who came in the flesh of Jesus Christ, that God, that Jesus, is not just saying you need to be obedient Christians. He's saying, I'm sending you, which means there's communication, right? There's interactivity. There's back and forth with that. So Matthew understands this notion of being connected to Jesus as including not only the renewal that happens in his own relationship with Jesus, but the sense that Jesus sends those who are his followers that Jesus sends those who are his disciples. And I'm, that's some of what I wanna share in a couple weeks of like how that word has become really important to how I think of a vital kind of relationship with God. But I want you to think about that. Like I would suspect, because I don't hear it often, but maybe you guys, well, anyway, I'll just say it like this. I don't, I don't experience most Christians to, on a day-to-day -day basis, think of themselves as sent. And, and, I, and, I, and I actually think, 
one of the reasons that we don't is we often think that there's a small group of people who are sent to these like really high profile, high risk kinds of things, like maybe being a missionary or something like that. Um, but then that leaves all the other levels of scent unexplored and unexamined, right? I think, I think when you go to the park, you should think of that as being sent. I think that when you're with your friends, you should think of that as being sent. I think that how we live our whole lives should be a manifestation of living out this interactive relationship with God who is sending us on a continual basis. I think it's a transformative word, okay? So that's as far as I'm going to try to take it this week, but I would like you to kind of start thinking about that word sent, and I'd like you to start thinking on and meditating on this phrase that Matthew finishes off this, this part of the reading. When, Jesus, when Matthew says, freely you have received, now freely give. We don't know how much time has elapsed between Matthew 9, when Jesus has called Matthew, and you know Matthew experiences the joy and um, uh, love and life transformation of becoming a follower of Jesus. But in between the time when Matthew's called to Matthew 9 and where Matthew's included in this group that is sent, here is something that becomes absolutely foundational for Matthew. Matthew is of the deep belief that whatever he is sent out to do, uh, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to contrive something in the moment. Uh, he doesn't have to go discover something that he's not, act, not yet been exposed to. He's not going alone. He's not going yet independently. That whatever it is he's sent to do, it is to be an outpouring of something he has already received. Right? Freely you've received. Think of the, think of the connected and cyclical nature of, the, nature of those two words. Received, now give. Received, now give. Received, now give. Realize it can almost sound overly simplistic to say it like that, and yet I just don't think that's how most of us um, believe God wants it to work. Right? Matthew's understanding of being sent is that it comes out of this flow, out of this outpouring, that first there is a freeliness, a free, uh, an abundanceness with which he has received something. I was doing a word study on that word free. It's not actually used all that often. It's kind of an abundance word. But one of my favorite passages, um, there's only four or five that use it, but one of my favorite is at the very end. Um, it's used once in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. Let me read uh, Revelation 21.6. This is the, the same word freely um, or abundantly. In Revelation 6, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and here's the phrase where he uses this. To the thirsty, I shall give water freely, abundantly, from the spring of the water of life. All right, Jesus at the end kind of uses the same word to say, the, the, the springs of the water of life are here. Now drink freely from it. Drink abundantly from it. All who are thirsty, drink freely and abundantly from it. It's the same word that Matthew uses here to describe his experience of Jesus first kind of in the encounters he has with him personally, but then that sets up this sending. Matthew's understanding is that whatever he's being sent to do should reflect and come from this deep encounter with God himself. That there should be uh, this experience of an outpouring of the love, the joy, the grace, the, the life that is found in Jesus Christ that he first experiences and then brings that to the world with him. And so I feel like much more can be said about that, and I will kind of share some of what that has meant for me. But I really felt like that's as far as I want to take it this week because what, like, what I would like you to start reflecting on your own life is just that simple and yet profound relationship between receive and then give. Matthew sums up this first part by saying, this is how Jesus works. Freely you receive, 
freely you give. And actually, can I, can, can I do kind of like just a guided meditation here? Can we start kind of making our way into prayer? Um, I'd ask, let, let, let's actually, let's move from like student mode of scripture into like listening mode now. So if, if you would, kind of posture yourself whatever feels comfortable for just kind of spiritual listening. You just simply close your eyes if you want. Um, you can put out hands, you can kneel, whatever you want to do. But like, I, 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 I'm, I'm asking that you would now lean into this spiritually in the same way Matthew's leaning into this. So let's just do this together, but also each of us. And here's what I want you to, Here's what I want you to, uh, what I'd like you to start doing in a spiritual sense. I'd like you, first let's do this. God, we, 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 we invite a heightened awareness of your presence right now in this moment. We don't need to invite you to hear, you're already here, but we, we, we seek to enter into this moment with a heightened awareness, a heightened sense of your presence. So let's just take a moment, just kind of settle yourself. Do you trust that God is here with us right now? Do you trust that the Psalm 23 Good Shepherd is with you and with us right now. Can you just take a moment to just orient yourself to the presence of God with you right now? Now, God, as we're kind of oriented here and as we're paying attention to your presence, we know you speak to us as a group. This is a group you speak to in Matthew 10, but you also speak to us individually. And so now in the simplest and most profound of ways, I want each of us to open ourselves up and listen, do we trust that the God of the universe says, and, and say your name here, Daniel, you know, Brooke, Keith, Maria, hear, hear your name. Do you believe that the God of the universe looks at you and says, Daniel, I want you to drink freely and abundantly from the waters of life that I have provided for you? Do you, do you have this sense when you think of the God who is covering you right now, that the spirit that is in you, of the Jesus that is your shepherd, are you, are you able to be in touch with that reality that the God of the universe says to you right now, I want you to drink fully, drink freely, drink abundantly of the life that is inside of Think of these famous words you know from John when Jesus says, I have come that you would have life in all of its fullness, in all of its abundance. Think of the Jesus in Revelation 21 who says, for all who are thirsty, I have brought these wells of living water. Can you see it as something that's more than, it's not even just enough it's freely, it's abundantly, it's extravagantly. Can you get past just the, the, the intellectual, the mind part that believes maybe this is true? Can you feel it at your own sense of self? Do you trust that God wants this for you? And then look inward. Do you, do you feel the permission to drink deeply of these waters? Uh, maybe you can even, I'm actually in my own kind of spirit kind of picturing as I walk up to the waters, what are the hesitations that I feel? Can you name, what is it that, what are the lies even that say, no, you can't drink of that? Do you think you're not smart enough? Do you think you're not spiritually accomplished enough? Do you fear you've made too many mistakes? Do you fear that you don't have enough faith? 
do you wonder if this is for super Christians but not for you? Like picture that as you go to walk to those waters of life that you are to drink freely from. What is the voice of lies that says, no, not you? What is the voice of lies that says you can't, you can't do that like everybody else? God, right now, we, we do what the biblical witness says from the beginning to the end. We denounce the lies of evil that take the beautiful truths that are meant to be daily lived things and make them feel so elusive, so unattainable. We renounce those lies right now and to the degree that each person is able to see the lies that get in the way between them and that pool of living water. What is that lie that says, no, not you, you don't get to drink freely? And then, God, we, we proclaim the truth. We situate ourselves with Matthew, with all the others throughout the ages that have been your disciples, and we remember that you have told us that your intention is that we would live fully, that we would drink freely, abundantly, extravagantly, that we would receive from you these restorative living waters. God, if I could be so bold, I'm praying for each person that is in the sound of this right now, that is in this room, that is with us virtually, that's listening to this, I'm, I'm sensing the word outpouring. May there be an outpouring of your spirit on us. We want to line up with you. We want to participate with your work in the world. We know this is a big part of this. You're sending us. But Matthew reminds us the give comes after the receive, that this is not an insignificant detail, that we are meant to encounter the living God, that we are to drink of these living waters, that we are to experience an outpouring of your spirit. May your spirit right now, we ask for more than a trickle. We ask for more than just a mental shift. All those can be helpful, but we pray for an outpouring that we would freely and abundantly and extravagantly even receive from you. It's not a selfish thing. It's not just about, it's not about centering us, but even to participate in your work in the world. Man, Matthew, Matthew begot certain real quick that whatever he was going to bring to the world as he was sent by you, it was going to come out of an overflow of the outpouring of your spirit on him. Sometimes the most simple things are the most transformational things. Today, God, I pray that first we would trust that you actually want us to drink freely and to drink abundantly and to drink extravagantly of your living waters. Second, I pray that we would push through and press past the lies that would tell us that we don't deserve it, that we're not worthy of it. And that finally we would experience an outpouring of your spirit so that when we go out into the world, into our everyday realities, we're not manufacturing something. It is simply an overflow and an outpouring of what you are doing in us. 
So God, keep us in this state here. Keep us listening as we sing words, sing songs, lean into music, lean into art. Uh, May your voice become so loud to us of the one who calls us to freely receive, to abundantly drink, to extravagantly experience your outpouring. Amen. Well, dear beloved of God, as we get ready to leave this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the face of God Almighty shine upon you. May you experience the graciousness of God. May you have a sense of the face of the Lord looking at you. And will you have the strength, the courage, the love to look back, to see the God who loves you. And to look at that loving stare. Freely you've received. From there, may you freely give. And all God's people said.